breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Thanks for joining me again this week. Hope you're all doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Getting ever, ever closer to the election in this bizarre, wacky year. And as our pulse rates increase, as our diaphoresis increase to a fever pitch, I hope you all stay calm, cool, and collected. It's only an election. Our country will survive. We will move forward. The divisiveness, the politics, the shenanigans, chicanery, whatever you want to call it, will continue. But we must come together as a nation. We must come together as one country under one constitution, under God. We'll look at a few of the uh, stories this week that I think we can go deeper and are emblematic of some of the problems, some of the issues, and sort of some interesting stories of the moment. Rihanna apologizes to the Muslim community. What's behind that? We'll talk about that. The Taliban endorses one of the candidates. You guess who, and we'll talk about that. Statistics on COVID. There's one stat that keeps coming up that's being used in politics, and I ha- I have to dispel and talk about how, how much it infuriates me, how simple it is. And also... With the Supreme Court nomination and hearings this week of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, typical, some of the Islamist far-left commentators are repudiating her conservatism, her faith, or at least saying the Republicans have a double standard when it comes to Islam. Let's, let's talk about that. So, first, Rihanna apologizes to the Muslim community. What is up with that? Why, why would she do that? Well, she said she made an unintentionally offensive mistake. Unintentionally offensive. Now, now listen, I get it. Sometimes people can uh, say things or use scripture in a way that's offensive. But my problem with this, before we get into the details... I want you to, when I tell you about what she did, replace Muslim scripture with biblical scripture. Replace it with all the times that you've seen Jesus or the Bible or the Old Testament or uh, Jewish mores or whatever it might be ridiculed, mocked, made the subject of art, quote-unquote, and then tell me if Muslims are being treated with kid gloves, if Muslims are being infantilized somehow. So she issued an apology, Rihanna, uh, earlier this week for using a song that sampled a recitation from Islam's sacred hadith with some Quranic recitation also. And it was her 2020 Savage X Fenty fashion show. The artist, now designer, was called up by several Muslim fans and then it sort of went viral in criticism. And yet she immediately immediately responded. 
immediately responded as saying that it was honest yet a mistake and careless. And she said, I'd like to thank the Muslim community for pointing out a huge oversight that was unintentionally offensive in our Savage X Fenty show, Rihanna wrote in her Instagram story. I would more importantly like to apologize to you for this honest yet careless mistake. Because, you know, you look back and the stories this week about it said, Rihanna's made tons of strides to be inclusive and have historically included hijabi women in their marketing. So, okay, that's fine. That's wonderful. I have great respect for the hijab and Muslim women that choose to be conservative and cover. But that's the inclusivity of Islam. It's the head nod to the conservatives. The Islamists, if you will. Not not all conservatives are Islamists. Yours truly included among that. But that's how we superficialize Muslim interpretation and Muslim inclusivity is by what they put around their head, not by ideologies, etc. And then you see that the song, the Fenty show, had women basically in bikinis and lingerie or whatever it might be. They walk the catwalk and dance to the doom. And the repudiations, the repudiations from people on Twitter, social media started to get reposted. You had uh, Muslims write, I love you and you're the queen, but using an Islamic hadith as a track in your show is rude and disrespectful to all of our Muslim fans, all of your Muslim fans. Um, We can talk about the blasphemous song that was played during the Savage X runway. A mix of Quran verses with an atrocious song. Not your fault, however, kind of disappointing for whoever was in charge of that awful playlist. Religion is not an aesthetic. And then her producer says, or I'm sorry, one of the responses from her staff was, we understand that we've hurt many of our Muslim brothers and sisters. I'm incredibly disheartened. I do not play with any kind of disrespect toward God or any religion, and therefore the use of the song in our show is completely irresponsible. Moving forward, we will make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Thank you for your forgiveness and understanding. Re. And then the source of the problem said, I want to deeply apologize for the offense caused by the vocal samples used in my song, Doom, she wrote. The song was created using samples from bail funk tracks I found online. At the time, I was not aware that these samples used text from the Islamic hadith. Hadith is the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. She said, I'll take full responsibility the fact that I did not research these words properly. And I want to thank those of you who've not, who have taken time to explain this to me. We have in the process of having the song urgently removed from all streaming platforms. It's being removed. So, point here is immediate reaction. There's almost fear. So, listen, are are Muslims not adult enough to to figure out if music is bad, if it sucks? I mean, if if music is bad and, and, and pulls from a faith tradition disrespectfully, it's usually a sign of the character of the of the singer. And then you just ignore it. Are we not adult enough to ignore bad music? 
No, we need to have it removed because certain people should not be offended. Or is it Rihanna that's afraid? And so ultimately, as I've said after each time, there's been appeasement to terrorists. And I'm not saying that the people that complain are terrorists, but ultimately this is the goal of terrorists, is to become the standard by which the rest of us Muslims are are judged and reacted to, is that no different than we saw Ariana Grande respond to the ISIS attack on her concert in Manchester, England. She never talked about Islam. She never talked about radicalism. She talked about coming together and all the platitudes. She did not want to offend or talk about the fact that there's deep reforms necessary for an ideology that seems to have a cancer that feeds it. And that cancer is not just militancy. It is a supremacism that is political Islam. The misogyny, the in her Dangerous Woman tour, she could not even take that up. And yet, singers don't have a hard time after school shootings or other acts of terror talking about the source, what they think is the problem, such as guns or movements that they think are politically oriented. But political Islam, oh, never take that on. So we see Christianity, the faith of the majority, is treated with ridicule, is treated with disrespect, is marginalized by the Hollywood class, the elite, as is often the faith of uh, many. If you look at the way AOC treated the Jewish community, or Ilhan Omar and her comments that were deeply anti-Semitic in the squad, including AOC, came to her defense. AOC backed backed out of an event honoring the assassinated Prime Minister Rabin a few weeks ago, and we talked about that on this program. But yet people of faith, people of the Jewish faith, that wanted to honor their beliefs, the history of the state of Israel, and aspects of anti-Semitism that they're trying to prevent are marginalized by the far left. And this all goes beyond a double standard, right? Rihanna may be free to remove something if she feels she wants to be respectful to faith, But values of people of faith, values for Muslims, I can tell you as a conservative, involve the respect for the equality of men and women. And the way she flaunts around in her own superficial presentation of what she believes to be her female identity. Many feminists on the the right may consider that she actually denigrates women by presenting a very superficial aspect of being female. Now, that could be controversial for many of you, but the bottom line is is if we're going to respect faith, that's a deeper discussion of faith, which is does Western culture at times exploit 
women? Is there, if you truly believe in Me Too, what about Me Too for Muslims? What about the way some imams recently have been exposed as treating women? And even more than just a few imams, what about the way women are treated at mosques? What about the sharia that's interpreted to give women a quarter of the inheritance, a half of the vote, and all the other aspects? If truly Rihanna and others in the Hollywood elite And music artists, elite, are in their industry really about treating people of faith with respect. Then they would often discuss their lack of wanting to offend conservatives or others who have values of faith. But no, it's simply about identity politic. That's really all it's about. It seems to serve because the Islamists now have become embedded with the left even though they share virtually no values and it's all opportunistic parasitic or whatever you want to describe it but the bottom line is it's not about shared values it's about the ends justifying the means the ends of the red green axis the the far left and the islamists working together and Rihanna just sort of reflexively responded in a way that's been conditioned now in the past 10, 20 years as being a part of the identity politic respond to Muslims. We'll protect them. We'll, and also, by the way, this is what the goal of terrorism is, right? Terrorism is to invoke fear so that people respond in a way in which the Islamists can invoke blasphemy laws. And even we saw on the Twitter the social media response to Rihanna's song, the Twitter response was about, social media response was about, she committed blasphemy. And this all started, remember the first blasphemer who had a death sentence put on him by Khomeini after the 79 revolution was Salman Rushdie. And Rushdie's gone on to write a number of books and become an icon for speaking out against Islamic theocracy. And while obviously I disagree with his positions on Islam and obviously did not have any affinity for his book, he is emblematic of the cancer that is Islamic theocracy or Islamism in which it has intolerance for anyone that denigrates the idea of Islam and then they put it into being an Islamic state which then becomes a theocracy anyways we also saw this week speaking of which Wajhat Ali an activist a pundit for the left he tweeted if Amy Coney Barrett was a Muslim and everything else was the same regarding her beliefs and associations, Republicans would call her a religious extremist and never let her step near the Supreme Court. They'd also accuse her of trying to impose Sharia. And this was retweeted and all that. And I just bring this up now to tell you that that is on so many levels intense, intentionally mis misleading and intentionally false.
because we realize that conservative Christianity of 2020 cannot be compared to conservative fundamentalist Islam of 2020. Because conservative fundamentalist political Islam of the Sharia is in the 13th century. It cannot be equated to an originalist thinker that has gone through that is one of the most respected legal minds in the American legal community who believes in originalist interpretation of the separation of powers and a belief in the principles protected by our Constitution and Bill of Rights. And that is a a set of principles founded on a bedrock of law and decisions in which we have a society that is not only post-enlightenment, but modernity, but in modernity, and and uh, recognizes the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the aspects of faith which are a nation under God but not under theocracy. So to somehow equate the Sharia of the Taliban, of the Iranian theocracy, of the Khomeinists, of the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, of the Muslim Brotherhood, just dismissively in order to dismiss sort of in domestic debates here in the West as somehow a moral equivalent is absolutely not only inane, but intentional disinformation so that Muslims do not have to be accountable to this debate about the need to go through a separation of mosque and state. Because the separation of mosque and state, as I've talked to you about on this program, in the 21st century is really a debate that us us Muslims did not go through like the West did in its 13th, 14th, and then ultimately in its 18th century that created the revolutions that separated Western governments from religious control in the establishment of their churches through government. It doesn't mean to divorce oneself of religious ideas and politics, but it means whether the Qur'an is the source or a source of law. And I think the Khomeinists, the Taliban, the Wahhabis believe the Qur'an is the only source of law. They don't recognize human law. They don't recognize the libertarian, the, the ideas of classical liberalism, while the Amy Coney Barrett's of the world defend the U.S. Constitution because they believe in the protection of individual rights, the, that, that the government is to protect individuals, not that the government is to invoke religious law. And that they believe that while, yes, our religious tradition is a source of law, I would defy anyone to tell me that any of Judge Barrett's teachings imply that she believes that the only source of law is the Bible or canonic law or whatever the legal traditions is of the Catholic Church. Very, very different and and, and, and important and, and it's so important that we dismiss and completely marginalize the attempt for moral equivalency between conservative Muslims 
Now, I'm not, I'm a conservative Muslim, but I'm talking about fundamentalist Muslims that have not modernized their ideas and are in the 13th and 14th century of Sharia. And the big difference with conservative Western ideas in the Judeo-Christian tradition as it exists today. Yes, I think if you compare where Christianity was in its dark ages, before the revolutions, before the Enlightenment, that is about where a lot of Islamic Sharia thought is today. So that trajectory of time, we can't have an ahistorical approach to Islam, to Christianity, to Judaism, or to all faiths in 2020. This week, the Taliban supposedly endorsed, wait for it, yeah, President Trump. Now, the Jerusalem Post said Zubaila Mujahid, the chief spokesman for the Taliban, denies that he expressed support for U.S. President Donald Trump in the upcoming U.S. election. He told Media Line that it is crystal clear that the Taliban made a peace agreement with the U.S. administration, not with any specific person. So whoever will be in power in the U.S., we are bound to abide by that agreement. Now, why do I care? Why am I even talking about this? Well, oh, sure enough, Biden's surrogates and others are using this as a feather in his cap. They may deny the endorsement, but the bottom line is is they would like this to continue. And President Trump this week did make further promises that he would remove the last of 2,500 troops or whatever is left in Afghanistan. That can't be done as hastily as he talks about. I think otherwise we'd end up leaving equipment and tons of things there. Now the process of pulling out, as I've said on this program many times, we spent untold amounts of blood and treasure on trying to not only destroy Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, but destroy the fact that it was a haven for terrorism and, and the launch pad for attacks against the United States as bin Laden and company were there, and then ISIS and other places and other radical movements, militant movements against the West, against Israel, against our allies, used that as a base. But it failed. It w- there was no process that worked for modernizing, for creating civil society in Afghanistan. And it's not our role to do that. So we need to mitigate our losses, minimize our losses, and leave. I agree with that. Took me a while to get there. Granted, I wasn't there a few years ago. I do think we need to continue to have intelligence operations there of significance and to prevent further radicalization of other Muslims by the Taliban. To say there's a peace agreement with the Taliban, I was critical of the Trump administration for doing that. I don't think that's possible. It's like having a peace agreement with any fascist militant theocratic group it's impossible they don't know peace they only know an end justifying a means no different than hamas in the palestinian era areas they made agreements uh, like arafat with the plo and others simply would say one thing in english another thing in arabic they are dishonest thugs Zabullah further told Media Line, Trump has taken significant steps to ensure 
the safe repatriation of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq so the American people can re-elect him. But it is up to the American people to decide who will be best for them. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fascist spokesperson, Mr. Islamist militant. And he said, we considered a positive step for the implementation of the agreement between the U.S. and the Taliban in Doha. In Qatar, by the way, as Erdogan was just in Qatar too. So you see the Islamist axis globally between Turkey, the Qatari family, Taliban in Afghanistan. They're always getting together and plotting. They're not friends of the United States. And by the way, again, make a plea to get our base out of Qatar. And I think the opposite happened this week past few weeks as we've solidified agreements with Qatar I get it and that we don't want to implode the Gulf but we see significant strides being made with the Emirates, with Bahrain with Saudi Arabia, with Egypt rational, more rational acting pro-Western Arab countries governments no they're not democracies but to inch them forward we've shown that we have benchmarks like the recognition of Israel that they're making. What are the benchmarks that Qatar is having? Helping Iran bypass sanctions? What are the benchmarks that Erdogan has to continue to deserve to be part of NATO? It doesn't make any sense. But back to this endorsement. You know, for folks to use it against President Trump... Is absurd. The Trump campaign actually had to dismiss it and say that they don't recognize it, which we see this every time. You got uh, the Muslim Brotherhood that endorsed the Obama candidacy. You saw, you know, a lot of these groups will endorse based on their interests. Now, do we think that Biden's going to redeploy folks to Afghanistan against the Taliban? Probably more likely than Trump to do that, as he is really part of the establishment. But the Brotherhood is endorsing Biden. So when it comes to Islamists, depending on which part of the world you're in, the Islamists of Iran are endorsing Biden. So if you're a Syrian American that cares about human rights in Syria, the choice, obviously, which porn policy would be far more disastrous for Syrian human rights and advance the continued colonization of Syria by Iran would be Biden's presidency to bring back Obama policy of Iranian appeasement of that fake Iran deal that caused untold harm to our security. So bottom line is, is there's so many different nuances that uh, beyond nuances, there's so many different interests here. I think that ultimately, globally, in the battle against political Islam, at least the prime one of the primary cancer cells, which is the Muslim Brotherhood, they've been weakened in the West. They've been uh, disarmed ideologically by not having a hat tip by an administration that seems to give them... Now, at times they did. At times we still saw some of the old players in Washington still 
whether it's the imams at some of the major Muslim Brotherhood legacy mosques still getting the tip to be represented or whatever it might be. But the bottom line is, is we came close to recognizing the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror organization, which it is in Egypt, in Syria, and elsewhere, closer than we ever would get under the Obama administration. Last, last, we have to talk about these statistics used on the debates on COVID. I was watching the, the Senate debate here locally in Arizona between McSally, Senator McSally and Democrat Mark Kelly. And Mark Kelly kept using the statistics that, can you believe under the Trump administration that 21% of the world's COVID-19 positive cases are in the United States and we are only 4% of the world population? And he said it three or four times. Now, listen, there's so many stats, and and I'm not going to go through the debate about COVID again here. But it is so important that we respect each other's intelligence and not try to just throw a statistic. Now, either astronaut Mark Kelly is just not that smart, which I doubt. I think he's a smart guy. Or he just wants to deceive the American public and throw a stat out there that somehow thinks that that demonstrates that America failed in the battle against COVID. 21% of the world's cases of COVID-19 and 4% of the population. Now, first of all, let's look at, so what are those? The two parts of that data are the total tests and then the population. So forget false positives or all these things. That data depends the fact that all the countries report their numbers and tested their numbers honestly let alone to the same aggressiveness and availability that we did here in America. First and foremost, it, it, it relies on the honesty of government. We have our challenges for honest government in the West and in, in our democracies that have free press, let alone the challenge in major governments and societies that are autocracies, 70% of the world's population. So, Mr. Kelly and others, when you say we are 4% of the world's population, what percent of the population lives under autocracy, which can't be believed for one minute? 70%. So the number of COVID infected, they probably weren't testing or they weren't telling or God knows. So the ratio of American numbers to others is meaningless. Now, if you want to compare it to Europe, that's not the number they're throwing around. That might be a valid comparison to compare us to Sweden and Netherlands, Britain, etc. Now, they may have tested less, but we can talk about that. At least their numbers publicly are vetted somewhat through a free press. So I, I just think that's emblematic of where we are today, that numbers are thrown around regardless of the autocracy and falseness of the information. I see this every day with numbers when we're talking about uh, attacks in Syria, whether it was chemical weapons or not, what what we're talking about, the Taliban, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia and its numbers. These are dictatorships. Not only is it a grain of salt, but half the info coming out of them is completely and entirely false. 
And we have to put it together with the other facts that we know to see what we take for truth and what we don't. All right. So, thanks for being with me this week. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and stay close to your loved ones. Be kind to one another. Remember that the debate of politics and who we vote for should not matter. Remember a couple episodes ago I talked about boundaries, right? And that whether it's about the Black Lives Matter movement, whatever it might be, there are certain overlying principles that we believe in. But to hijack sports, to hijack uh, uh, various aspects of our life, our businesses and other things because of a political movement will destroy us from within. And we can't do that. Every week I'll try to bring you a little morsel of the things that I think are important. Thank you for joining me. Find me on Twitter, on social media at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio. God bless. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.